Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name is Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, I catch up with Indianapolis resident and old friend Matt Hunkler, who is the CEO and founder of Verge and host of the Powder Keg podcast. Matt and I talk about his early beginnings in the Orr Fellowship, his failed attempts at a startup called Repurify, and how Verge, his now successful company, is something that he says never even meant to be a business. And we'll talk about his influences from the inventor of voicemail. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Matt Hunkler. All right, guys, today I would like to welcome CEO and founder of Verge, as well as the host of the Powder Keg podcast, Mr. Matt Hunkler. Matt, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thanks for having me, Josh. So, Matt, you and I, I think, initially met when you called me up to uh, to have us do a project for a company you were working for. Is that right? That's absolutely right. I was just thinking about that today while I was driving around in my car. I was like, how did I meet Josh? And yeah, you guys uh, blew that project out of the water. So Matt, you were one of those uh, rock star 20, maybe 21, 22 year olds at that point in the Indianapolis uh, tech scene that we call the, uh, the Orr Fellows, part of the the or fellowship and uh man you were just hitting everybody's radar from the beginning and so we'll get into kind of what you're up to um with verge today and kind of what's going on with the podcast and and all of the exciting things that you've seen around the country and uh, i might even offer around the world but um maybe before we get too far ahead of ourselves Fast forward to today, you are running this thing called Verge and you're helping startups and certainly designs an integral part of that. But you found your way into the world of startups like via design. So I'm curious to hear that origin story. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's been a, a wild ride and uh, I'm excited to share my uh, my crazy story. Uh, as, as, uh, you alluded to, I was everywhere and, and anywhere I could be, uh, related to technology or design there, uh, for about a decade, um, in Bloomington, Indiana, prior to moving to Indianapolis. And then of course in Indianapolis and now luckily all over the world, I've, I've had a chance to kind of plug into some of these, uh, design and tech communities, literally, uh, all over the world. I got to go to New Zealand this year, which was pretty awesome. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to share my story. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird and crazy one. I actually got into design. I don't know if I even really got into it. I think it found me. Uh, <laughs> I, I was super into comic books growing up and, uh, you know, and then the, the whole basketball cards and, and baseball cards thing, uh, as well as, as a kid of the nine product of the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course I, I still have my tens of thousands of worthless pieces of cardboard. You and me both. Maybe we could burn them for energy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You gotta, you gotta have something to take up all that space in the basement. But I, um, I love the design of those cards. I love the design of comics and I just started drawing. Right. So I, I, rather than, rather than engaging with eye contact in class, I found I could actually pay attention if I was keeping my hands busy and drawing. And occasionally my mind would wander and I would be somewhere fixated in the story that I was drawing. But for the most part, I I eventually learned to kind of stay engaged with what the teacher was saying and be able to respond uh, when put on the spot. And so, 
every teacher that I would uh, have a class with would would try me on this and try to call me out in class and be like, and if Mr. Hunkler was paying attention, and, and then I would just recite back to them what they had been saying uh, <laughs> the previous three minutes. So I I drew all kinds of comic books. Um, I had flip books. I, I filled up King Arthur forwards and backwards a number of times as students would donate their copies to me so I could make more flip books. So dabbled in animation there, hand-drawn animation. And that actually led me to my first full-time role. I was I was lucky enough to actually um, have a neighbor. They saw me out drawing houses uh, all the time in my neighborhood. So I at, at some point, I got fixated on architecture. I think it was my sixth grade teacher uh, kind of taught us all about architecture. He took us to a Frank Lloyd Wright house um, in West Lafayette, Indiana, where I, I grew up. It's called the Samara House, if you want to look up pictures. And um, it was from that moment on, I was all about architecture. I'm still super into architecture. And Samara House is Frank Lloyd Wright, is that right? Yep. Yep, the Samara House. So Samara, named after the the leaves of the petals that kind of fall down from the tree, like little helicopter oh, uh, yeah. wings. Those are called Samara seeds. And so if you look at the design of the house, it has that pattern repeated and worked into the design of it in, in many different ways. It's It's really cool cool little house. But I, uh, I just started drawing buildings from that point on. And it's, it's a weird thing probably for a neighbor to see someone in junior high and high school out in the neighborhood drawing houses all the time. Uh, but eventually he, uh, he said, Hey, you know, it looks like you're into architecture. Do you want to have my drafting table and drafting tools, which if anyone in graphic design is, is listening, maybe they haven't even heard of a drafting table because they're not used anymore. <laughs> right. um, but I was like, absolutely. And, and I started drawing some buildings and kind of showed them to him. And uh, he made an introduction to a friend. He had dropped out of drafting school when he was still in school, hence the extra equipment. Uh, but he had friends that had, had completed it. And so I got introduced to someone that was running an architecture firm in Lafayette, Indiana, all the way over across the river in the big city. And, uh, <laughs> the I bustling up, metropolis. Yeah. Bustling metropolis, something like that. It was to me at the time I ended up getting a gig as a CAD detailer. So compute computer automated design using AutoCAD. Um, and that was my first and only job I ever had in, in a graphic design sort of role. Um, because basically what happened over the course of a year and a half, two years is, I had the creative soul crushed out of me. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely <laughs> hated taking this passion of mine, which was creating creative work and being imaginative and putting it down on paper and drafting it out and being precise and all of that to doing electrical outlet outlays and figuring out the wrap on columns and figuring out how to build buildings in the cheapest way possible to save money on material costs, um, and, and kind of throw design out the window. And, um, that was a really big, that was a pivotal moment for me because, uh, I, my whole life from the time I was in fifth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, I thought I wanted to be an architect and that completely shifted for me. And I actually never drew again after that role until, you know, probably just two, three years ago, um, in 2013. That was uh that was a, my first and last graphic design role, and uh, it definitely <laughs> found me. Um, I was just kind of following my passion, and and I, I I'm happy to say that as of about three years ago, I, I do draw for myself now and and sketch, and I'll post things to Instagram every once in a while. Which actually, I've been following some of your stuff uh, lately, Josh. I, I love that you're sketching again, man. 
Oh yeah. I mean, well, similar to you, like the, it's similar to a conversation I had with a guy named James White a few weeks ago. Like, you know, my, my career was really born from a passion for drawing and really just black and white pencil on paper kind of stuff. And like you, I was, I was definitely into a few select, you know, superheroes and comic book characters, but also the baseball cards in particular were a big thing for me. So I was going back through some of my old sketchbooks and finding all these, you know, drawings of baseball players. And like, I recognized Bo Jackson and a couple others and other faces. Like I thought, well, I, I know that face, but I have no idea anymore who that guy is, who that pitcher for the Dodgers was that I was obsessed with at the moment. But it's kind of funny going back that, you know, how similar some of these uh, conversations are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, we, we clearly were kindred spirits when we first met, uh, back in whatever that was probably 2009, mm-hmm. uh, when we, when we hired you at blue lock to do that awesome, um, awesome kind of rebrand and revamp of the website, uh, and all of our digital and print assets. But I, um, the, the thing that was nice about that experience is that it probably saved me at least for probably more like eight years of school that I would have gone down that path. <laughs> Because I was in at at the point I quit, I was actually in a structural engineering and business double major at Purdue, and uh, and I had I had found you know through some other explorations kind of this entrepreneurial gene that I had. I had always kind of done things to make money and started some companies in high school, and um, and I decided I really wanted to go all in on that, and that I needed to get outside my comfort zone, which was West Lafayette, where Purdue University is. So I actually transferred down to Indiana University or IU and um, got into the entrepreneurship program there, which it's actually ranked uh, the, the top entrepreneurship program uh, of all public schools anyway uh, in the country. And so I was super fortunate to have that just down the road to get in-state tuition. I lost my full ride, unfortunately. Um, so that that meant I needed to make some money because I was paying my way through college. Mm-hmm. And so that is what sort of spawned my need to create some extra income. And so I started actually doing um, copy editing for my dad's friend who actually managed the university, Notre Dame University Press. Um, so the Notre Dame University, obviously um, big Catholic school, also in Indiana, uh, also has their own press, right? They put out their own publications. And so I started as a proofreader. Uh, then I did some editing. And then, um, this guy, Jeff family friend was like, Hey, you know, Matthew, I know you're like into computers and design and stuff. Do you think you could design one of these books? And I was like, I don't think so. And he's like, Oh, come on. It's easy. Like everyone uses this program called InDesign. And so of course I, I looked it up online and got myself a copy and got the, whatever the equivalent of the four dummies version was at the time, uh, and got a bunch of books on typesetting and typography and taught myself InDesign. And so I started laying out these books. Um, I was probably a sophomore in college down at IU, just tr- trying to pay tuition and uh, found kind of rediscovered this passion for design, but like very, very different than what I was doing. Um, and so I liked that things, you know, lined up. I liked learning about kerning and letting and, uh, you know, orphan words and widow words and, and all that, that good stuff. And mm-hmm. I still always pay attention to that when I'm looking at, you know, different pieces of software layouts or, uh, different kinds of marketing campaigns. I'm always looking at the typography, uh, through that lens. 
But what I found from that was that it got to a point where there was more work than I could do. And so that's, that's when I actually read a book um, that is now very popular, but at the time it was a, it was a new, uh, new release in 2007 uh, called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. <laughs> and so um, I, I'm sure that you've discussed the book uh, with, with someone before, or at least heard it or read it yourself, Josh. Well, yeah, I always mentally sort of connect you with Tim Ferriss as well. So that's interesting to know that it's, it was literally an early uh, influence for you. It was very much an influence for me. I mean, it was literally that book, uh, the E-Myth by Mike, Michael Gerber, The Entrepreneurial Myth, mm-hmm. um, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad were kind of like the trifecta of books that really in- informed my early entrepreneurship. But it was one thing in that book um, for our work week was that the world is much flatter than you think it is. And so I, I loved hanging out on the internet. I was, I had a huge passion and was kind of dabbling, you know, through InDesign, I found some of the other things like Photoshop and Illustrator and played around with it because it was, you know, Adobe creative suite. So you're, I had a student version of course that I bought from the union at IAU <laughs> and I was like just playing with those other things uh, at the time. And so I was like, Hey, I wonder You know, Tim Ferriss said that there's like these websites where there's graphic designers and developers all over the world. I wonder if I can find one that would like typeset one of these books and like I can split the profits with them as I'm working here on this book. They can be working on another book and we can actually double our output. Well, it turns out there's a lot more than one person that can help out. There's a lot of people that can help out. And, uh, and what ended up happening was I got a lot better at managing the client relationship and getting more work, uh, and finding other places that needed typesetting than I was at the actual typesetting. <laughs> they could do it a lot cheaper than, than I could in terms of time and in terms of money. And so I had, uh, you know, fast forward, uh, two years and I've got 30 some contractors all over the world, like literally in Romania, India, China, and of course the U S as well. Um, doing all kinds of graphic design uh, for a company that I, I founded out of this and kind of like stumbled my way along, literally using the four hour work week as my playbook, right? Like I even called myself the director of business development, like they encourage <laughs> you to do in the book so that you're not like this one man show that's calling themselves the president or the CEO um, on your business card. And and also so people aren't, uh, you know, getting angry at you and instead feel like they're they're being taken care of by the director of business development. <laughs> But I, I ended up having all these different graphic design projects. Um, so we started out in typography, but then quickly found that a lot of these web projects were a lot more profitable. A lot of people didn't know how to do them at the time. WordPress was just becoming kind of a, a popular uh, CMS or content management system. And uh, we just found a really great niche in serving small to medium-sized businesses um, with with graphic design, custom software development, and uh a little bit of digital marketing and online marketing. And so that, that business, um, really is sort of like what catapulted me down this rabbit hole of tech entrepreneurship and high growth startups and not just in Indianapolis, but all over the country. Very cool. So I'm curious, Matt, how this has parlayed into what you do today. Obviously that's the roots of kind of creating the, the entrepreneurial spirit, but, but Verge is not simply, um, producing books and, uh, and websites and WordPress. So what are you guys up to today? Well, so the way we talk about Verge today is that we're local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent. 
and top talent being, you know, the best developers, the best designers, the best sales executives and marketers. Um, and we're really fortunate to be in cities all over the country. We're hosting these monthly pitch events where entrepreneurs can connect with top talent and the investors they need uh, to grow and scale. Uh, but beyond the events that we're doing, we're actually providing exposure to the ideas and creative processes and best practices um, through some of the media partnerships that we have. So we're actually recording all of those stories that are happening at our events and in our candid interviews. And we're publishing those through our own media properties, as well as some of the um various uh, sort of partnerships that we have with uh, organizations like Forbes and Huffington Post and, and other technology-oriented blogs. And so the, the cool thing and the thing that's really rewarding to me is taking what's happening on a local level and, and exposing it to the rest of the world. Uh, and that's allowed us to also deliver some value in the forms of education. And I'm not saying we as in like I'm like writing out these best interviews and these best guides – my goal really is as a connector and as a curator. So I'm trying to find the people like yourself, Josh, who are doing the best kinds of design and have, having them share their story on the Verge stage or the best entrepreneurs who have a really unique idea and a unique take on what they could do to add value in their industry or their market. And I'm trying to connect them to the capital sources, the talent, uh, and the other collaborators that they're going to need to kind of grow and scale our business to the next level. And so we're doing those events at scale, but we've also found some really cool ways to share our story through various um, outlets. And so the podcast that we just launched is, is a big part of that. Cool. Well, let's come back and talk about the podcast in a second. But I think one of the things that's striking to me about um, all the cool things that you guys are up to at The Verge is that this isn't happening um, exclusively in a place like Silicon Valley. Um, you know, we're in we're in Indianapolis. We're in the middle of the Midwest, and if you're in the tech space and not familiar with all the cool things happening in Indy in the tar startup or tech world, um, you may be shocked to see it all. So, I'm curious to number one, maybe have you talk a little bit about what you think the climate is like here, but also, um, you know, I hear almost every other day either Silicon uh, you know, alley or, uh, Silicon Prairie or, you know, what, what are the, what are the real entrepreneurs in Indianapolis calling this? And, and how do you see that, um, that future and what that holds for Indianapolis and the other markets that Verge is active in? Well, it's, it's a really exciting time. And, and frankly, I, I won the freaking lottery, right. In terms of like right place, right time, <laughs> right community, um, I, I feel so fortunate that I landed in Indianapolis when I did, uh, you know, through that entrepreneurial fellowship, the Or fellowship that I joined. Um, and really, I, I actually sold that company that I started in college um, and not for like huge, you know, Zuckerberg exit or anything like that. But, you know, enough enough money to pay off my student loans and invest a little bit into the next uh, business that I started. And I actually that that next business I started ended up raising about fifty thousand dollars total for it and investing $50,000 total into the business over the course of two years kind of drove that business into the ground. And <laughs> the, the reason for that being is I didn't have access or I couldn't find access to the right mentors, the right resources uh, to really make that business thrive and scale. And we didn't have, we weren't capitalized, right? So um, we weren't capitalized for the long run that we needed to. And if, if, 
I had had the mentors that I have today and the connectivity I have today through Verge back then in 2009, um, you know, Repurify maybe would still be an e-commerce business mm-hmm. that's, you know, supplying non-toxic personal care products and cosmetics through the internet, like so many other e-commerce companies came along afterwards and did. Um, so I, I think that that really led to, you know, scratching my own itch. I always say Verge is the first business I ever started that was never meant to be a business. It was really out of necessity of finding other people who are so passionate about technology and, and building great products that, that Verge just sort of took off. And it was because I was in that role of trying to get something off the ground that, I was along with the ride with other buddies, uh, yourself included, who were getting things off the off the ground at the same time. You know, at mm-hmm. various stages. Obviously, I was a lot earlier stage than your business at the time. But you know, we were both involved with some software products and pitching them, getting feedback on our ideas. And I think that um, that sort of community and culture that started in Indianapolis then, that little tiny snowball uh, back in two thousand nine. Obviously, with lots of resources and momentum and energy from people before I landed in Indianapolis, that that kind of helped boost that. You know, things like Exact Target, which is a big tech company that uh, built was built here. And I'm not telling you this, Josh, but your listen your listeners, <laughs> you know, that was acquired by Salesforce and a Primo um, that got you know acquired. We've got several awesome tech exits and uh, and investors in the community that have really allowed that snowball to rapidly build. But I think it was sort of that grassroots group of, of us that were meeting in, you know, back rooms of bars and in, uh, you know, spare spaces. I mean, we, we were in an abandoned church for about a year and a half, just kind of hosting these pitch events. And I was recording them on a flip cam at the time because that was how you got HD uh, video recorded because cell phones uh, weren't really capable of doing that at the time. And uh, and sharing them on YouTube and this cool new thing called Twitter and having conversations with people and, and connecting, you know, behind the screens. But it was really when we got out from behind our screens and started connecting in person, giving real time feedback um, and saying, hey, I like what you did here. But I think if you you know change this user interface um, of this piece of software that maybe would resonate a lot more. Or if you added this one thing that I did over here, uh, and you implemented it in this way with your business, I think it would just skyrocket. Then all of a sudden you started having these, these collisions that were happening and this sort of, um, exponential growth that was happening simply because you were learning a lot faster than, you know, posting on a forum and then 24 hours later getting some feedback, you know, half of it, helpful half of it from crazy people who are also in the forum. Um, so it just sort of that, that face-to-faceness and that connected community that was at the core of the Indianapolis tech community at the time, uh, has snowballed into just this thriving ecosystem that, you know, I, I think that we're, we're amongst the best tech communities in the country. Matt, one of the things that I admire about um, your path is that in spite of the fact that you kind of got the entrepreneurship bug really early in life and you were definitely dabbling and experimenting and succeeding and, you know, maybe occasionally failing, but just striking really great uh, directions over and over again, you know, you didn't do that full time. Like you also took jobs with other companies and um, I think found places to learn from them, but maybe talk through your decision of, you know, being an employee while you were running Verge and starting that and maybe, 
to take a page out of the the Tim Ferriss playbook, if you could go back to that twenty something self as an as an or fellow before you took that that next job, like what advice would you give yourself, and would you follow that same path? Hmm, that's a really good question. You know, I I, I think uh, first I got to correct you and say it was more than occasional failure. I was falling on my face quite frequently, quite frequently <laughs> and, and still do to this day, but you know, several times today, in fact. Um, <laughs> but I enjoy it. Right. Like I, I think, um, it's sort of like, I, I forget, I forget who I can attribute this quote to, but it's like the definition of success is like bouncing from failure to failure without, uh, a dip in enthusiasm. I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> totally mangling that, but I, I think that, I think, I think that's, maybe that's your quote now. <laughs> yeah. Right. The, the, the bat, the botched, uh, wordy one, that's mine. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I think I was fortunate, right. I had some early mentors, even in that business I started in college and the business before, right. I, I had a business in high school, uh, as well that I learned from what, what to do and what not to do. And, um, I was making decent money in college and could have continued to grow that agency that I had started, but, um, it was actually one particular mentor uh, that sold me on this idea of really impacting the world. And that guy's actually impacted the world himself. He actually invented voicemail. So Scott Jones uh, was a guy uh, who actually lives in central Indiana, although he spends a lot of his time in Hawaii now because he can. And uh, <laughs> and I absolutely understand that looking out the window right now at all the snow in Indianapolis. But I... Um, I, I was fortunate enough to meet him through the Or Fellowship program, and I interviewed with Scott. I, I went through this process with the Or Fellowship simply because someone told me, "Hey, you got to check this thing out. I know you've got your business, but I think that it could be a cool way to learn entrepreneurship at that next level." And I was all about being open to new ideas. I think in college, my mantra was "Say yes to everything," um, and so I did that for a long time, and uh, found myself sitting in Carmel, Indiana at Starbucks uh, across from the inventor of voicemail who was wearing sweatpants and flip-flops and uh, him telling me, you know, Matt, I know you can, you know, make tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, maybe even make millions of dollars with this agency model. And that's great. And you'll impact some people in a unique way. But I, th I think what you got to think about is how do you impact the world? And so he said, you can learn how to create tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars of value, or you can come collaborate with high growth tech companies in Indianapolis and learn how to create tens of millions or hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars worth of value. And the, the, the focus not being on you know, me earning millions or billions, but, but that money is a good indicator of the value you're creating in the world. And, um, you know, this is the guy that invented voicemail. He invented GraceNote, which powers all of iTunes uh, and many other systems that uh, that is sort of like a cataloging tool for music. And so I was like, you know, shut up and take my money. I'm, you know, I'm sold. <laughs> right. I, and uh, I had another another uh, couple professors down at IU that helped me sell my business, which I wasn't even thinking about doing, uh, who remain friends and mentors to this day. Uh, and that's actually what led me to, to Blue Lock, working for Mark Hill, who he himself has just been a trailblazer as, as an entrepreneur here in Indianapolis, founded Baker Hill uh, with his wife, Karen, and uh, sold that software company to Experian and uh, ended up being just hugely influential, starting programs like or 
being pivotally involved with programs like TechPoint um, that are sort of like precursors to what Verge became uh, back in 2009. And so uh, I just lucked out and had some awesome mentors. And I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to give 110%. You know, I'm going to work the 50, 60 hours a week at these tech startups uh, while I'm growing and, and, and learning from these people. But then, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm young, right? Like I've got another 20 to 40 hours in me, uh, to spend nights and weekends, uh, working on building my own stuff. And that's when mm-hmm. I was working on things like verge and repurify my failed, uh, e-commerce startup. And then just looking to provide value in as many ways as I could. And it, it really, really paid off for me. I, I ended up doing that gig at, at blue lock. I, I ran marketing for a high growth bootstrapped company called Slingshot and then ended up finally teaming up with Scott Jones, uh, doing a spinning off a startup for him off of Cha-Cha that was called Social Reactor. And so I feel like while none of those things in and of themselves, like I rode out all the way through to success, being in there for those glimpses of growth at those companies and at times dips in growth has just given me a ton of experience and exposure uh, and learned so much from people who are far better at me, you know, not only at leadership in terms of the CEO, whether that's, you know, John Qualls at Blue Lock or Christopher Clapp, who then became the CEO or, or Scott Jones, the inventor of voicemail, but from the top talent that they recruited and learning to design products, um, and software that was, you know, life-changing for a lot of people that it touched. And so it was a really cool, cool way to get a lot of experience in just a really short amount of time. And I didn't have much of a life outside of that. So, uh, I still found time to to kind of grow verge and grow this community here. That's, that's just awesome. And maybe to, uh, to put words in your mouth then. So, so you think it was a smart decision then to kind of ride, (laughs) ride two horses at once to, you know, learn from the masters during the day and then kind of, uh, forge your own path at night. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and at the time I wasn't even treating verge like a business, right? It was just this organic thing that was growing. And I was like, I I was just thrilled out of my skin to be able to provide value at scale, uh, the way that we were, you know, connecting entrepreneurs to investors, you know, that, that can change the life, not just for the entrepreneur and, and their business, but for the investor who gets a return on investment and all of the employees that that company hires, there's a lot of big tech companies, uh, in Indianapolis today that were a solo founder, you know, moonlighting on a project uh, when they pitched it at Verge for the first time. Um, and I'm not saying that Verge is the only reason that that company is a success, right? Like, I'm just honored to have played some part uh, in the growth story of that company and, and have been helpful at that time. You know, I think if there were one thing I would tell myself, I wouldn't because I, I enjoy the ride that I was on. But if I were talking to a 22-year-old right now, uh, I would tell them, listen to your gut. And I think for a long time, I followed other entrepreneurs and followed the advice of mentors that because they had never steered me wrong. (laughs) And, uh, I had always found good results from my experiences in following mentorship advice, but there were some times there where I kind of stuck, stuck things out and, uh, waited and grinded it out, even though it wasn't giving me as much energy as I was putting into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that I could have made decisions quicker 
if I had just listened to my gut instead of listening to what other people told me to do. And by the nature of Verge, more and more people were telling me what I should do, which became harder and harder uh, as a person who likes to get consensus and build community and make sure everyone feels involved and make sure everyone feels heard. Well, maybe to, to shift gears only ever so slightly. So the majority of the, the audience here at Obsessed with Design, um, as the name might imply, is, is often designers and creative professionals. And I think whether we have, um, you know, Jason Freed or Aaron Draplin to blame or somebody else, you know, there are definitely some great cases of designers who had worked for an agency who decided to, you know, to use yours to scratch their own itch and create their own product. And, and it's definitely been uh, a trend or maybe even a, an ingenious thing for designers to pursue. So as you've seen other designers turned entrepreneurs, you know, what would your, what would your words of advice be to, to those listeners who have that thing in the back of their head that they're, they've thought about doing, but they've never really put any real effort towards? Do it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the, that's the one habit that, uh, for whatever reason got instilled in my head. I was, I was never afraid to try things and just take the jump. And of course, I fall on my face quite a bit uh, as a result of that. When you're when you're uh, not as risk averse and you're willing to just kind of go for it, put yourself out there, uh, they're not all going to be home runs, of course. But in order to hit home runs, you've got to swing. You got to take take some swings at things. And I think um, for the designers and uh, potential entrepreneurs, it's like start start with one thing. You don't have to get your corporate identity down. You don't have to figure out what your core values are. You don't have to figure out what this looks like in five years. Start with one thing you're excited about and make sure it's the thing you're actually excited about. Because if you're an entrepreneur, it means you're going to be doing it a lot. And like, I mean a lot, you know, hundred hours a week, uh, in the early days, if you really want to stand out and succeed. And so, um, that, that, my advice would be get started with one thing that you're really passionate about and it's it's you'll know it's the right thing when you can't put it out of your mind it keeps coming up it keeps coming up in you know in the shower right or on a run or when <laughs> you're when you're sketching in your notebook and and listening to music and you're you find yourself kind of meandering in thought and going back to the same idea those are the things you want to try doing an entrepreneurial endeavor in it's, it's the things you care enough about to think about. And, um, my recommendation is while you've got the enthusiasm, create as much as you can. And it's not all going to be right. But when you've got that enthusiasm where you're thinking about it all the time and you're excited about it, don't like wait to get a bunch of opinions on the early side, like go create, go create stuff, go, uh, mock up a prototype, go, uh, develop out a website, write out a thesis, you know, create as much as you can, because most people kind of have this window of creative energy around an idea. And what happens a lot of times is I, I see, particularly in the Midwest, right? Because, uh, for whatever reason, our kind of culture and core values, um, is not as confrontational or like willing to just like jump outside of our normal box or norms. And so I think what, what I see a lot is people come to a verge event and this is a very small segment, but I see that I've 
seen this in myself before too, so I want to point it out, is that uh, you know people come like two, three, four months in a row talking about the same idea. And it's like, listen, Joe or Fred or Susie or whoever it is, you know, don't come back to a Verge event until you've tried this or don't talk about this idea again. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, the, the value is not in the idea. It's in the product and the value that you can create with that product. And so, um, the, the thing I recommend is while you've got that energy and that gas in the tank and you're like enthused about an idea, like create as much freaking content or designs or websites or software or sales decks as you can, uh, because that has a limited window. And eventually you're going to come across someone that's going to tell you that's stupid. And you want to have enough kind of like invested down that road to be like, well, you think that's stupid. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? Uh, and that's how, that's how entrepreneurs kind of get an idea off the ground is they're willing to take feedback, change it, you know, test and, and grow something. It's very, very rare. In fact, I don't know if I've ever encountered anyone in the wild that was like, this is the business I'm going to build. And then they went and built that business. Exactly. It's just very, very rare, uh, to find that person. Uh, and in general, you're going to get feedback from the client or the customer or the market, and you've got to be able to change and adapt. Uh, so get started and start building something that's valuable or not. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, encouragement to, to build and get started and, and grow something, uh, I have a feeling that uh, listeners who check out the Powder Keg podcast are going to hear similar con conversations to the one we're having right now. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, at an even bigger scale, right? So the thing I really wanted to find with uh, Powder Keg is those entrepreneurs who found what they were good at and amplified that. They found the res the raw resources they needed to, you know, kind of fill in the gaps in their powder keg, so to speak, and invest more fuel of what they're really good at. Maybe they're a great connector and ambassador. Maybe they're a great technologist and they just build amazing software. They were able to like augment their superpowers while kind of building their, um, building up against their weaknesses. And they found the right time and place to really set off their powder keg, so to speak, uh, to make the biggest impact on the world. And so we've kind of uh, uncovered the stories of these non-traditional entrepreneurs who have just made a massive impact on the world. And some of those are with a design background. Some of those are with a technology background. Um, and then we've also found some of those investors who, you know, maybe they were originally entrepreneurs, but now they're investing in companies. And so they share some of their advice on what they look for uh, in entrepreneurs and what they're seeing in witnessing all these different entrepreneurs kind of grow and scale their businesses in areas outside of Silicon Valley. What would you say you are most obsessed with right now? Right now, I'm most obsessed with podcasting. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the medium. I have been for a really long time, even back in 2007, um, when I was quote unquote reading the four hour work week, I actually listened to the four hour work week. Uh, so I'm a huge audiophile. Um, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I listened to a lot of podcasts and, and did while I was walking around the IU campus back in 2007 through 2009. And um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the medium and getting better at 
um, getting to the heart of people's stories. And so I've been spending every spare moment, um, which is limited, but uh, every spare moment I'm listening to podcasts and not just for the content in them, but you know how you, Josh, interview your guests on Obsessed Show and how uh, Tim Ferriss is changing the way he interviews people on the Tim Ferriss podcast, uh, how other great podcasters and storytellers are bringing stories out of other people so that they can, they can get to the core of the, the story, the core morsel of someone's breakthrough moment. And, you know, people I'm looking at are, are people like Larry King, who's just an amazing interview. I, I went through a phase where I watched every episode of Inside the Actors Studio uh, earlier uh, this year. And then I've also got um, you know other entrepreneurs who have their own podcasts uh, in my world, and I'm learning what I like, what I don't like, and, uh, and really trying to perfect and hone the craft of, of interviewing and sharing people's story at scale. Because I think while they're pod, while podcasting is the hot thing right now and more and more people are getting into it, I think that there's so many untold stories that I've come across just in my adventures with Verge, uh, you know, speaking uh, on stages around the country and, and all over the world now um, that I'm, I'm passionate about getting those stories out. And so that's, that's the thing I'm obsessed with. And if I could spend 24 seven on that, uh, and I didn't have to sleep, that would be amazing because I'm, I'm just so, so jazzed about it. I jump out of bed in the morning, getting, getting ready for whoever I'm talking to that day. <laughs> I am right there with you. That is awesome. Um, before we let you go, Matt, I want to, um, I guess, ask this question. So, Verge is obviously in a growing number of communities and spreading uh, like wild wildfire in those places where it is. Um, so if if I'm a designer or creative professional or entrepreneur and I'm thinking, man, I, we need this Verge thing in our community, you know, whether that's in the Midwest or on the coast or whatever, like how would somebody um, figure out if they're a good fit for Verge and how would they talk to you about making that happen? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Josh, when you said it's spreading like wildfire in the communities where we are. We're in eight cities currently um, in Indianapolis, obviously where we started, but in, also in cities like Nashville, Tennessee and Kansas City, Missouri, Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and other communities of that scale. And we're, we're really being selective about what cities we launch in. It, it comes down to finding the right person or organization uh, to launch in that community. Um, but once we're there, we're really pouring a lot of resources into supporting those communities and connecting them with other resources outside of their city. Um, and so the right way to figure that out would be to just kind of check out some of our content. We, we publish regularly on Forbes and Huffington Post, as well as on our website at vergehq.com. Um, and you can see a lot of the fireside chat with fireside chats with serial entrepreneurs or investors. Uh, but you can also see the pitches. You can see entrepreneurs, you know, literally pouring their guts out. Okay. Not literally, uh, but, but really pouring their hearts <laughs> out on stage and uh, sharing what they've been working on sometimes, you know, in their basement or their spare closet at home, uh, while, the, while they're, you know, working their full-time jobs, they're working nights and weekends in their quote unquote spare office and, uh, sharing it for, to the world for the first time. And if that sort of thing resonates with you and you get excited about 
sharing ideas and, and building things from just a spark of an idea into a flame and then something that you can really grow and create uh, energy from, then I, I would encourage you to reach out. We, uh, we have a contact form on our website if you're interested in pitching on one of our Verge stages. Uh, we also have a contact form if you're interested in launching Verge in your community. Uh, and there's a, there's a long list of those, but uh, we're setting up calls with everyone that, that inquires um, just to see what kind of resources we can put around that and make the launch a huge success. Nice. Love it. Well, you certainly touched on lots of them, but um, maybe for you personally, if somebody wants to reach out, what's the best way for someone to get in contact with you or to find you on the interwebs? Um, the best way, first line of defense is always Twitter. So uh, I'm I'm just my last name, at Hunkler, and that's H-U-N-C-K-L-E-R on Twitter. Um, but that's also me on Instagram. You can find me uh, on Facebook, of course, uh, quite a bit, Snapchat, uh, you name it. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm also comfortable with people just shooting me an email. I'm just matt at vergehq.com. If you sign up for our newsletter, uh, which is a very active and engaged newsletter uh, on vergehq.com, those emails come directly from me. So if you just hit reply on one of those, uh, when you see something that strikes uh, your interest, uh, you know, until we hit that number where that doesn't scale anymore, you, you get a direct response from me uh, and that comes directly to my inbox. And we've got almost 10,000 people on that list now um, that are actively engaged with that that content and the stories uh, in these non-traditional tech hubs that we're sharing. Excellent. Well, Matt, I would uh, I think that's a fantastic way for people to kind of move into the new year is to check out a lot of the Verge content and consider if if that's something that might work for their community to to check out what you're up to online and uh, maybe some of that will be um, taking me up on the hashtag obsessed challenge and posting some of your your sketches and and doodles throughout 2017. I drew uh, I drew a picture of one of my guitars last night, Josh. I was inspired by your post on Sunday. I was like, you know what? I thought about drawing all weekend and I didn't. And then here Josh is posting on Instagram. You really guilted me into it. But uh, <laughs> it, really all it took was like putting that pen to, to, to paper uh, for the first time. And then, you know, after that, you just kind of get in that flow state. So thank you. Um, and then I also, I also would be remiss if I didn't shout out the podcast. If people want to check out those stories, it's just powderkeg.co. Uh, we couldn't get the .com, so... Uh, for now, we're going to save you a letter, and it's just uh, powderkeg.co. <laughs> People can find all of those and subscribe on all the Stitcher, iTunes, whatever. Of course. Well, we will make sure and link to you all of that good stuff in the show notes. So, uh, Matt, I want to thank you for hanging out with us today, and I uh, hope everybody will check you out. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, guys, that is episode number 50 in the books. For all of today's show notes, be sure to head over to obsessedshow.com and subscribe to the show on iTunes if you are not already. And if you haven't given us a rating or review, we always appreciate that. Please head over to iTunes and give the show a little love. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis that is all about impact. Check us out online. We are at milesherndon.com. Our intro music is Matchbox Girl by Cassie Joe, and our show is always edited by the talented Gen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Check out brassybroad.com for more info. 
I cannot wait to share with you all the amazing interviews that we have coming up in 2017. So stay tuned and let us know who you think we should have on the show next. Tweet to at Obsessed Show or at Josh Miles. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.